Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Hi, good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, hey, I, I get to introduce a very, very special guest this morning who's going to be speaking. Uh, this is Crystal. Everybody say hi, Crystal. Crystal has uh, preached all over the world. She has done, uh, the list is uh, just insane, and she's in high demand to speak in lots and lots of places. Uh, She has written a book uh, on the way out. I I think they might have sold out, but if not, there's a uh, a code that you can scan if you want to pick up uh, her first book. There's another one in the works uh, as well. So she is an author. And in high demand, and she was doing a conference here just this past weekend, and we're really glad that she is here. Thank you, Erin. Oh my goodness, I'm just so excited to be here. I've been counting down the days until we could have this time to be together. It's so great to be in church uh, with my family. As Erin told you, my husband and I, were in a different church Every week, we travel all the time. We're typically gone from Wednesday to Sunday, and we have Monday and Tuesday at home to regroup, and then we go off again. So life is crazy, right? So being able to be in my hometown, I was raised in Maryville, so this is awesome to be back in my hometown, and to be in the church that my sweet mom and dad attend. If you know our parents, they're amazing, wonderful people. If you don't know them, you're going to want to get to know them. And of course, to be with Aaron and... Sharon, Bross, and Bree, you guys know you're so blessed, right? You know this. Listen, we meet a lot of people, see a lot of people, and a lot of pastors. But your pastors love you. They talk about you all the time. And what an example of marriage, of parenting, and just being Christ-like that they have for you and for this church. So I know you know you're blessed, but um, it's my honor to be here. Thank you for letting me come hang out with you guys. I want us to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump right into what I believe the Lord has for us today. Is that okay? Father, we just thank you for our time together. We thank you for these moments that we can share to open our eyes to things spiritually, to empower us, to deepen our faith and our trust. We thank you for these times, God. We love you with all of our hearts, and God, I pray that the words that I speak would be your words that would be pleasing to you, and I would be hidden behind you, God, and that your people's hearts would be touched and penetrated and changed in whatever way that you would have for them today, that you would mark us and you would change us from this moment forward. Amen. Amen. I want to share with you a little bit about myself and um, the past several years of my life, about the past 10 years of my life, I've been on this bittersweet journey with my Heavenly Father. I was under the assumption that life was always going to be easy. Any, anybody? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know why I thought that, because the Word of God doesn't tell me that. Um, I just was under the assumption and belief that if I loved God and I served God, then everything was just going to be smooth sailing all the time, right? And then it wasn't. <laughs> Life began to hit hard, and 
I don't know if you've ever got some bad news where it feels like someone's just punched you in the chest kind of moment, like your breath is taken away from you. We started experiencing these kind of things in our family and life was really hitting hard and I, I had to process, how am I going to handle this? I had to make a decision right then and there, this crossroads in my life, am I going to trust God completely? Release control and trust Him in this situation like I've preached my whole life. But am I going to do that or am I going to continue to just push my feelings and my opinions on the situation? Anybody ever been there? Would I trust Him and rely on His Word? Because He's always been faithful. He's never let me down. He's never failed me. He's always been so, so good and so sweet. But I was struggling. I was struggling with trusting him. You see, I was raised in church. Um, I was a church brat, so I, I knew what to say. I knew how to say it. But my actions did not line up with my words. And this is what I did over and over for years. As I did this every time. I would go to God. I would give him all my pain, all my grief, all my heart. I mean, all the emotions, you know, all the feelings. I would walk away. I would feel like, all right, I did it. And then I would walk back and I would just take every single bit of it back from him and hold it and keep it. And guys, I did this every single time because I found it was easier to trust him. Easier said than done sometimes to trust him, right? So I was in this season of growth. I'm trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to handle life when I was saying things like, this is not the way it was supposed to go. Have you ever said that before? This is not the way I plan life to turn out. And that's, that's where I was. And, and God is so sweet. I just found the sweetness of my Heavenly Father in those moments. And He began to um, remind me of stories throughout my life where He had proven Himself. I needed to be remembered, uh, reminded of how faithful He had been. And He was reminding me of stories of my sweet dad. My dad is a godly man, and I know I'm blessed to have that. That's not everyone's testimony, but in my life, I had a loving, godly father that represented Jesus well. And the Lord would just take me back to just small moments throughout our childhood and reminded me of how I was able to trust my earthly father. And honestly, guys, I was trusting my earthly father more than my heavenly father. And the Lord began to remind me and teach me through these moments. And that's how the book came about. It's full of all these stories of the faithfulness and goodness of God. But I wanted to share one of them real quick with you today. It was um, a Saturday morning. I was maybe eight or nine years old. My sister, four or five-ish. Your pastor was maybe two years old. Absolutely adorable little cute fat face baby. And... I told the earlier service, I do have a picture, um, and I will share it with you gladly after church if you want to see it. It's so, so beautiful. But anyway, I digress. Dad says to us, I've got this surprise. It's going to be an awesome day. And so we're just like, yes, Dad's got a surprise because if you know my dad, he's always got something fabulous and very creative and wonderful going on. So mom's big job was to keep us in the house, keep us at bay until dad was ready because he was like, this is going to take a few hours. You're going to have to wait for the surprise to be ready. He just told an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old that they were going to have to wait on a surprise. Okay, you know that we were absolutely driving my mother insane in that house. Is it time? Is he ready? You know what I'm talking about, parents. Like, that's just what kids do. 
So I'm sure my mother was losing her mind. Um, but finally, she says, it's time. And she opened the front door to our house. And we ran outside like a bunch of wild animals. Like, what in the world does dad have for us? And what my dad had done is he had taken this wooden cart and he had attached it to the back of his riding lawnmower. So he had prepared this place for us to be with him. So we had maybe an acre, I don't know, maybe two acres of whatever, I don't know how, but it took several hours, several hours for him to mow the yard. And so he made this place where we could ride along with him as he mowed the grass. And it was so exciting. I mean, I had been in that yard a bazillion times before, and it never seemed so wonderful, so magical than it did that day. And uh, as I think back towards it, as a mother, I'm a mother of four, a grandmother of four, I really believe my mother was the mastermind behind this whole thing, don't you think, women? Because what this did is it provided my mom like two or three hours of peace and quiet in the house. I mean, as a mother, you know you, the, those moments are rare and very, very precious. So I think my mom was the one behind the whole thing. And I remember the Lord reminded me of that Saturday. And I jumped in the back of that cart and I laid back and I just looked up at the sky and it was a hot summer's day and I just relaxed. I just chilled out while my dad did his job. And we rode around on that bumpy ride around that yard and I just let my dad be in control and do the job that only he could do. Here's the thing. Not one time when we were riding around the yard did I stop my dad from doing his job to ask him, hey, dad, how long is this going to take? Because I really need to know if it's going to work out with my plans and my schedule. I never said to him, can you give me an itinerary of all the details of your work day so I can see if it's going to line up with what I want? I never poked him on the shoulder and said, I really believe that up here you need to turn left instead of right. I didn't, right? Why? Because I trusted him to do a job that I couldn't do, right? I just relaxed. And the Lord said to me, that's right where you are. You are in a situation that you have no control of. You can do nothing but trust me to do what I need to do. And I found that there's so much power and freedom in just releasing control. So if you've found yourself in that situation before, maybe you're in that situation right now where you feel like the wind's been knocked out of you. You're hitting a situation you never thought you would be in. And you're like, oh God, what am I going to do? And God's saying, you're just going to trust me. That's what you're going to do. You're going to release control and relax in my presence. Is that easy? Absolutely not. I'm not going to even begin to stand up here and tell you that this process is a simple, easy process because it's not. But I'm telling you, as you wait on God and you trust him, I promise you he's working. You know, when I was in that um, cart with my dad, there wasn't a bunch of dialogue between the two of us because he was working. We weren't talking he was working. And sometimes when we're in these seasons of, of um, how is this happening to me, God, we wonder, where is he? Why isn't he in, intervening right then? And why are we having to wait things out? And why is this taking so much time? You know, God, in the waiting seasons of your life, he's working. 
He's orchestrating things. He's putting pieces together. He's bringing the right people into your life. He's setting a stage for His glory, but also for your destiny. Amen? Amen. So we find so much freedom in just releasing control. Um, the, the scripture that the Lord gave me for today, we find it in Numbers chapter 11, and I love this because it's about a leader who really trusted God. He was able to release control, not at the beginning, but in his leadership. He releases control, and because of that, he's a great leader. He really is. And he makes way because he releases control and allows other people to be empowered by the Spirit of God. He makes way for other people to impact the kingdom. So before we jump to the text, let me give you a little backstory of where we're at. Moses is in the desert with a few million people. The Israelites, they had been slaves for over 400 years. I want you to really think about what I just said there, 400 years. That means the people that are with him in the desert have been born into slavery, right? Generation after generation born into slavery. And with that comes years of bondage and trauma and abuse. They were born into dysfunction. They knew nothing else. Their minds had been ingrained with unworthiness. I'm sure they felt unimportant and insignificant. And these are the people that Moses is leading. And at this point in the story, they've seen a lot of miraculous miracles from God. God had proven himself over and over. He had rescued them, of course, from the Egyptian slavery. It's so many plagues and so many mighty acts that God did. He split the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. God had given them water in the desert. He'd given them food called manna, bread from heaven. So they witnessed all these things. But again, they kind of had a trauma brain at that point, right? They'd been through a lot of junk. That can make it hard to release control and trust God, can it? Moses is trying his best amongst these people, this group of severely hurting people, to find some balance, some order, some organization, to establish some sort of government, but he's doing every bit of it on his own. He's leading several million people, absolutely, on his own. Sounds like he's battling some control right there, right? The beginning of his leadership. And then the people did what people so often do. They begin to fuss and complain and gripe. They didn't like what they had. They really wanted the vegetables and the meat and all the good things they had when they were slaves. That's really what I just said. They wanted all the things they had when they were in bondage. It's so easy sometimes, if we're going to be real today, to forget how far God's brought us, right? It's easy to do. They were sick of the manna. They wanted meat, And uh, this made Moses angry. This made God angry. They were upset. And Moses basically says to God, "I, I don't know why you gave me these crazy people. I didn't birth these people. These are not my children. And what am I doing trying to deal with these people? In a nutshell, that's what he said. And that's where we find our text for this morning. I'm going to look at Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 through 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
gathered before me seventy men who are recognized as leaders and elders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put that spirit upon them also. And they will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. God had a plan, right? So here's what we find. Seventy men are picked out of over 600,000 men of war. If you received that kind of invitation, it was special, right? This is a very elite group of men. This is a very special group that have received this invitation to join Moses and be empowered by the Spirit of God. Let's jump to verse 24. It says, So Moses went out, and he reported the Lord's words to the people, and he gathered 70 elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud, and he spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but this never happened again. Verse 26, it says, Two men, Eldad and Medad, stayed behind at the camp. They were listed amongst the elders, but they had not gone to the tabernacle. And yet, the spirit rested upon them as well. So they prophesied there in the camp. I find that so intriguing because in verse 24, it clearly says that there are 70 men in the tabernacle, right? But we know that two men, it tells us two men did not attend. So really there were 68 men in the tabernacle and two men that were in the camp with everyone else, right? Right? Um, I'm not great at math. That wasn't my subject. We got any math people here? We got any math people? Kudos to you, man, because that's just not my thing. But I, I do know simple math. So 70 minus 68 is two, right? <laughs> 68 men at the tabernacle, two men in the community, and it appears that no one even noticed that they were not there. It appears that they are insignificant to man. They did not accept the invitation to be part of this elite group. They chose not to attend. They were welcome. They had a seat at the table and they said, no, I'm not going to attend. And I really want to know why. Anybody else want to know why? Aren't you curious? I'm so curious as to why they didn't go. So I start thinking of all the reasons maybe we don't go to things when we're invited to them, right? We have an invitation to attend something special, but we turn it down. Maybe they didn't put it in their calendar. Maybe they were just really unorganized guys. Do we have any of those here today? Wives are smiling. They should have told their wives to put it in the calendar. They would have been there. Everything would have been fine. Obviously, they didn't tell their wives, right? Maybe. Maybe they're just really bad at planning, like time management. They're late at everything. You know people that are late to everything? They're always, always going to be running behind. Maybe that was me, Dad, and L Dad. They just couldn't pull it together to get to the tabernacle on time. Maybe they were busy and overwhelmed. The cares of life, right? They're taking care of the kids, maybe helping out with kids' stuff. Maybe they're doing chores around the house. I don't know what they're doing. But they just got overwhelmed with responsibilities, and maybe that's why they turned down the invitation. I don't know. Maybe they were disobedient. I don't really find that one to be very likely as we read the rest of the story. Or possibly they were afraid. I can see that. I can see that. Um, as I said, my husband and I travel, like we're at a different place all the time, and we have one kid that 
loved it growing up. So our kids were raised in that environment. New place all the time. And I have one son that was like, yes, man, we get to go. We get to go meet new people, get to meet a new pastor, new church. He was so excited. Meet new friends, make new girlfriends. I mean, the whole, the whole thing. And then I had a daughter that was like, oh my gosh, please don't make me go. I don't want to go. And she would get so anxious and fearful. And she had to go to the bathroom. You know, you know, the whole, all the things. So maybe they were like my daughter and thought, you know what? I feel too anxious. I'm not going to show up possibly. But more than likely, the two guys did not show up because they felt unworthy. They received the invitation, but they canceled themselves out. Maybe they said things like, why me? Why would I be called of God? How could God use me? Why would I receive an invitation to be part of such an elite and special group? Maybe they felt like outcasts. They, smelt, they felt different from the others. Verse 16, though, God tells Moses to pick men that are already considered leaders and elders amongst the people, right? Sometimes we have leadership qualities that everyone else can see, but we don't see in ourselves. I've done that before. They simply felt unworthy. That's actually what most scholars believe. They believe that Medad and Eldad did not attend the invitation to the tabernacle because they felt they were not worthy of such a high dignity. And if we consider the past that they just came out of, it's not real surprising, is it? I don't know what they did now, but I know for years they were slaves and they were ingrained in worthiness. Their backstory, no doubt, was messy and icky and full of pain and heartache. And nothing about these two guys was privileged, but they were chosen. They were called of God. So why didn't they accept the invitation? Well, why do we not accept the invitation? We can come up with every reason and excuse imaginable to turn down the giftings and the callings that God has in line in order for our life. But I can promise you, he will continue to believe in you even when you don't believe in yourself. He will continue to invite you even when you decline his offer. I was thinking about invitations while I was preparing for this morning, I think giving invitations is a whole lot of fun, don't you? Think about it, the invitations you've given in your life. If your parents, maybe you gave the invitation to your kid's first birthday, isn't that exciting? Or your kid graduating from college, whatever it may be. Giving invitations is fun, and it makes people feel special when they get an invitation, so I love to do it. Um, I, I told the first service that in just a couple of, actually days at this point, our daughter's getting married May 10th. And so, you know, all the preparation that goes into a wedding. And she told us that she really just wanted to have a very small, intimate group of people. Just very special friends and closest to families were allowed to come. So I remember when we went down the list and we were deciding who's going to come and who's not. And then when we mail out the invitation, it was so exciting to invite these people that we love and we care about to be a part of such a special moment in our lives. And then I started thinking about Jesus and his life. And I really, really think Jesus loved giving invitations. I think he loved it. I think it was fun for him. So I started thinking about all the invitations that he gives. 
You know, he gave to the disciples an invitation to follow him, right? He gave to the woman at the well an invitation to drink and never thirst again. To Mary Magdalene, he gave her an invitation to be free of her demons. To blind Bartimaeus, he gave him an invitation to see again. To countless others who needed healings, he gave them an invitation to be healed, right? There was a dead girl. He gave her an invitation to live again. There was a thief on a cross, and he said, here's your invitation to paradise. I think he loved it. But how absolutely absurd would it be for any of these people to tell Jesus no? Can you imagine saying, nah, you know what? I'm really just fine with being bound up, thirsty, dry, dead. I'm okay with that. I'll just continue that. It sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? Like, who would, who would do that? And yet... So many people did that to Jesus. They refused him. They didn't follow him. They weren't healed. They weren't raised. They didn't drink of the living water. And one of the thieves on the cross did not go to paradise. And before we judge these guys too quickly and too harshly, we kind of do the same thing. We've been given these invitations to Join him in kingdom work and the kingdom assignment and all these wonderful invitations that God has given us. And sometimes we just say, yeah, you know, I just don't feel worthy. So why did Medad and Eldad disqualify themselves? Why do we disqualify ourselves from receiving what's rightfully ours from our Heavenly Father? The invitation's given, but we refuse to accept. What is beautiful about this story and what I want you to see that is so empowering about this story is that their doubts in their selves never stopped God. His spirit wasn't bound by location, where they were. His spirit was not bound by the opinions they had of themselves or the opinions that other people had about them. His spirit wasn't bound by their messy past or Their pain, his spirit found them, right? It says the spirit of God found them right where they were. Now, God noticed that there were 68 men and not 70 at the tabernacle. Man may not have noticed, but God knew. He took note and he cared about me, dad, and Eldad. And because they weren't at the right location, did not disqualify them because they missed the opportunity didn't stop them from receiving the power of God. The word says they prophesy because their past was bad. God didn't say, well, you're out of luck on that one. Hate it for you. They were called of God. They were chosen of God regardless. Did you know the word calling in Greek is translated an invitation? If we look at Romans chapter 11, verse 29, it says, for the gifts and the calling or the invitation of God are without repentance. What exactly that means? That means that God has never called you and then repented of it. It means he's never said, ah, man, what was I thinking when I called her? I really messed that one up. Never has he said, oh, that guy, yeah, I I never should have, never should have called him. Those words have never parted his lips. You realize that. So whatever reason we choose to not accept the invitations that God gives us does not disqualify us from the glory of God. 
These men, Medad and Eldad, these two that are separate from all the others, they only could see themselves as slaves, but God saw them as leaders. Can we see ourselves as leaders? I've found in life, and I love, I love to see this, people sometimes that are the most doubtful in themselves and battle the most with insecurities and fear, Sometimes those are the ones that God uses so mightily, right? Have you seen that before? It's so wonderful to see. And and we see it in the Word of God, too. We see it with Gideon. If you read Gideon's story in Judges, he was like the weakling, the weakest of the tribes, man. That was his tribe, the weakest tribe. And then he was the lowest on the totem pole. I mean, he was so not the man that we would choose to lead God's people. And yet God said, you're the man. You're going to lead my people. You're going to lead them with power. You're going to judge my people. In Judges chapter 6, verse 34, it says, The Spirit of God enveloped Gideon. Oh, I love that one so much. The Spirit of God, it enveloped him. How powerful is that? Even though he was weak and insecure, and if you read his story, did not believe in himself, the Spirit of God enveloped him and empowered him. Our reasons, our excuses don't really matter. God fell, his spirit fell, and it fell on me, Dad, and it fell on Eldad long before, long before the book of Acts, chapter 2. They experienced this Pentecostal movement. The spirit of God was given to the elders just like the spirit of God was given in Acts chapter 2 as the tongues of fire rested Upon them, the Spirit of God, the Ruah of God breathed upon the 68 men that were at the tabernacle. And it also breathed upon the two men who were in the community fully and completely doubting themselves. The meaning of names in the Bible is so interesting. Typically, they're reflective or prophetic, meaning when a baby is born, the child's name will be chosen by Uh, reflective what's going on at that moment, or the child's name will be picked by something that's prophetic, like we're going to give this child a name of something that will happen. So I started looking into what does Eldad and Medad's name mean. The name Eldad in Hebrew, it means God has loved. Isn't that awesome? God loved Eldad right where he was. God loved him. Medad, the Hebrew meaning for Medad is friendship, and love. God loved me, Dad, even though he didn't love himself, possibly. And maybe these two guys thought, you know, all that we have to offer is love and friendship. That's not enough for God to use. And maybe that, I have no way of knowing, but maybe those were the things that these two guys were thinking. But I say that's one of the greatest things that we can offer the community in our world is love and friendship. These two guys were out and about. They were in the community with the in the community with the common and the ordinary and the regular people like us. In my opinion, that's the very best place for them to be. They weren't gathered with the special and with the elite. And as a result, those common, ordinary people witnessed the glory of God, right? They saw me dad and Eldad prophesying and being used from God, with being used by God. And I'm convinced there is nothing more powerful than when love comes together 
with power. Love and power mixed is when you will see your world changed. I know a lot of people that have love, but they don't have power. And regrettably, I know a lot of people that have power, but they don't have love. And this is what the Word of God says about that, 1 Corinthians 13 two. It's so powerful. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all the faith that I can move mountains, think about that. But if I don't have love, what does it say? I'm nothing. When our love can meet with our prophecies, when love and empowerment is what truly comes together, worlds are changed. Amen? Do you believe that? These guys were the ones who made the greatest impact in the community, in my opinion. These guys were the ones that made the greatest impact on the kingdom. And these two guys are the ones whose names made the pages of the Word of God, the men who felt unworthy. I'm getting ready to close. Somebody wants to come, but we've been given an invitation today. We've been given a choice. And we have an opportunity to come up with a million reasons why we're not going to accept the invitation that Christ has for us today. We can just say we're not worthy. We're not good enough. God can't use me. Whatever the invitation is for, I don't know, maybe it is for new life. Maybe it's an invitation that God wants to give you for freedom and liberty or maybe for healing. Maybe you need healing in your body. Maybe God is calling you and rising you up as a leader and you have a choice that you can accept that or you cannot believe in yourself and just prolong the inevitable. Because remember, the call of God is what? Without repentance. So you can walk away and say, nah, I'm just not ready. That's fine because he'll continue to pursue you. I promise you that. And he will continue to invite you. Even if you don't accept his invitations, he's going to continue. Why? because of his great love for you, for his belief in who you are, because he knows that he can empower you. Because in our weakness, right, God is made strong. I want us to think today about possibly what God's calling is and what he wants for us to do, what he's put in your heart. So as we go into worship, I really want you to think about this and talk to the Lord. Surrender your heart to Him. Talk to Him about your feelings. If you're battling trust and control because life's hit you in a way you never thought would happen to you or to your family, the people you love, and maybe that's where you are tonight and you're, or today and you're struggling, like how is this happening? And when I talked about releasing control and the power that yields your spirit, said, yeah, you know what? I got to do that. I got to release control on some things. And as we sing and we worship, just surrender it to God. Just release those things to Him. And if, if you're struggling with the belief that you're worthy, you're not alone, so many of us face that. Maybe you feel different. You feel overlooked. You feel like you're kind of out to the side like those two guys. Everybody else is got that power from God and here you are off to the side feeling unworthy you know the power of God got those two guys too this is what I believe I believe God has called many of you 
today. And you have an opportunity to choose how you're going to handle it. But I believe kingdom work and what God is about to do within this church and in the kingdom is so powerful. So when we pray and as we worship, I just want to encourage you to just talk to your Father. And whatever it is that you need to receive from Him, whatever invitation He's told you, it's in your heart and you know what it is. Be willing and open to just receive it. Can you do that? I want to pray with you before we move into worship. Father, your spirit is so sweet and your spirit is here today. I feel you calling us and wooing us and moving our hearts. God, help us to believe in your worthiness, not in ours. This has nothing to do with us and everything to do with you. Lord, let your people be vulnerable enough to go ahead and accept that beautiful invitation for whatever it may be in their lives. Let them lay their hearts out to you. God, we surrender it all to you. Our heaviness, our heartbreak, God, our good times and our bad times, we give it all to you. We thank you for your sweet spirit that is here. We worship you, Father. Speak to us now.